there. This is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast. And today I'm going to finish off this uh, series of topics that I've been doing on the fruits of the Spirit, looking at the last one, which is self-control. The last of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 6 is self-control, and this is the end state for all Christians, that they be in control of themselves and not led astray by the emotions, the passions, the desires, and the lusts of the flesh. We are called to grow and mature in Jesus Christ so that we can learn to do what's right in his sight. So my objective today is to firstly understand the need for self-control and secondly to look at the processes by which self-control may be achieved. And I'm only going to touch on these things as usual because there's only so much you can put into one of these podcasts. But uh, if you want to find out more, you can certainly go and look at my website, freegiftfromgod.com, and have a look at the blog, and you can search for self-control. And in particular, search for walking in the Spirit, because you'll find as we go through, that's the process by which we learn self-control. So the first scripture I want to look at is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm reading verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pommel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is a good place to start, because we look at this in terms of an athlete. And it says here at the start of this, do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And then he goes on and says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now you think about, uh, you see every now and then on uh, TV from time to time, the training regimes of runners and swimmers and athletes of all, uh, all different types. And they work hard at toning their body and tuning their body to be able to operated at peak performance. And all of these people compete. You know, they go to Olympics and world uh, titles and things like that to win a prize. And the prize is they get a medal. And back in the days when this was written, they got a wreath. And he's saying, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So we need to be like athletes, spiritual athletes, we need to learn how to exercise self-control in all things. Now, I'm not talking about the physical things specifically here, but the spiritual things. We need to learn how to exercise self-control so that we are not controlled by our human natures, which are fundamentally evil. You know, we, we inherited sin from our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and that sin factor has come down through the generations to every person that's ever lived. But we have to learn how to be in control of those passions, those lusts and desires that would cause us to do evil and cause us to act in sinful ways so that we can exercise self-control in all things. And this is what he's saying here. We do it to receive an imperishable wreath. And then Paul goes on in verse 26 and 27 saying, well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. And if you've ever seen boxers, you know, they, they do shadow boxing where they're sort of uh, boxing against no one, you know, to try and get their combinations right. And he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. So these people who are doing those things, athletes in the world, are doing this to train their bodies. 
But Paul's saying, well, I don't do this. He says, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he's looking at how he is exercising self-control in the passions and the lusts and the desires of his body so that after preaching to others, he is not disqualified because he hasn't done what he said. He says, I don't want to be accused of hypocrisy. I'm doing what I say. This is what he's saying. I do my utmost. This is what Paul's saying. I do my utmost to be presentable to God in every possible way. In the next scripture I'm going over into is Second uh, Timothy, and I'm reading chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Hence I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Now here we're given an indication. We know that I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit out of Galatians 6, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. But what he shows us here is that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, not to be timid, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Now the Holy Spirit, one of the works of the Holy Spirit, is to give us the ability to be in control of ourselves. But we have to use the power of the Spirit to gain that self-control. He doesn't do it for us, but if we use the power of the Spirit that's given to us, if we take that power of the Spirit and use it to exercise self-control, to pommel our body and subdue it, as Paul said in that last scripture, to actually use the power of the Spirit every time one of these passions or lusts or desires raises its ugly head up in us, and we use the power of the Spirit to push it back down and crush it, and every time we start to think something that is wrong, we use the power of the Spirit to capture the thought and kill it before it gets a chance to take hold and turn into action. Then we have a spirit of self-control because the Spirit gives us the ability to be self-controlled. And that's what he's saying there. Now, the next scripture I'm going into is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, there's a couple of things in here. In that last verse, he says, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful if we have these things. And one of these things that he, he mentioned there in verse uh, 6 is self-control. Now, if we have self-control, it keeps us from being ineffective because when we are out of control, we are not effective. But when we're in control, self-control, then we can be effective. And he also talks about there in that last verse about being unfruitful. Well, we know, because we're studying the fruits of the Spirit, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So if we do all these things, and he's, he's defined a process there in these words, and that's why he says from verse 5, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So we start with faith, and then you add virtue, and supplement your virtue with knowledge. Uh, then we've got to learn some stuff. And knowledge with self-control. So once we know what to do, then we've got to do it. That's what self-control is. If you've got knowledge, then you need to apply that knowledge. 
And self-control with steadfastness. So as we become more self-controlled, we become stable. We become steadfast. We become steady in our walk. And then as we become more steadfast with godliness, godliness in, with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love, and goes on. I've spoken about these in, in the past, so I won't talk about these again now. So it's all about self-control. And that's the thing that we're trying to achieve. And he's allowed us to have these things. And this is one of the fruits of the Spirit that we will bear when we uh, receive the Holy Spirit and when we turn our lives over to him to be able to guide us. The next scripture I'm going into is in Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 7, 8, and 9. For a bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of goodness, master of himself, upright, holy, and self-controlled. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to confute those who contradict it. In this scripture, now he's talking here about a bishop. Well, what is a bishop? I mean, I'm not, not talking about uh, in some churches they have bishops and they wear uh, mitred hats and so on and so forth. He's talking about here when we actually look at what a bishop is. He's an elder in the church. You know, so he's a leader in the church, an elder in the church. Now, not everyone becomes an elder in a church, and that's okay. But he's given us here a standard to which the elders of the church will be measured. He's saying a bishop or an elder, as God's steward, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Now, you wouldn't want the leaders of your church to be like this. You don't want them to be quick-tempered. You don't want to be able to go to them with a problem and have them start shouting and yelling at you in anger. You don't want them to be arrogant and haughty and to sort of look down your nose and say, oh, well, if you're doing that, well, you can't be a very good Christian. No, we don't want any of those things. You don't want them to, to be greedy for gain. You don't want an elder or leader or pastor in the church to be someone who is in it for what he can get, in it for what he can get out of it, fleecing the flock. And I've uh, spoken about that on many occasions. But instead, what you want is shown in verse 8. But a, a, an elder or a bishop or a leader in the church, they should be hospitable, a lover of goodness, master of himself, upright, holy, and self-controlled. Now, the things that they're saying that a, an elder in the church or a leader in the church must aspire to is to be self-controlled. And in fact, in that scripture, he's basically said it twice, because first, they must be master of themselves, and second, they must be self-controlled, apart from the other things. So self-control is something that a leader is required to have. They have to be able to be in control of themselves. And we know that there have been some uh, high-profile ministers in the church who have fallen because they lacked self-control. They have fallen to all kinds of perversions, you know, um, sexual immorality and all kinds of things, um, greed and so on. And why? Because they've lacked self-control. And so it's very important for the leaders of the church to be self-controlled. But this is also a standard to which we should all aspire, even if we're not leaders in the church. We should aspire to be in these same places because eventually we're going to have to be. When God calls everyone into his final kingdom, into the kingdom of God, we're going to have to be self-controlled. He's not going to take sinners in. He wants people to be perfect as he is perfect, as it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. So we need to be able to do these things. We need to be self-controlled and not be evil in any, any form uh, or any manner or any way. So the next scripture I'm going to go into is in Romans chapter 6, 
And I'm going to read verses 10 down to 14. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but yield yourself to God as men who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, now here we see that we are not under law, but we're under grace. And what are the things he's saying about this? He's saying, well, don't allow sin... And when he's talking about sin reigning in your mortal bodies, he's talking about all those passions and all those lusts and all those desires, all of the parts, of, the negative parts and the evil parts of human nature. He's saying, don't allow them to reign. Don't allow them to have dominion or have power over you. You have to thrust those things away from you. You have to uh, move forward away from those things because you're now under grace. You're now under grace. You're not living under sin. You're living under the grace of God. So he says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And what are the passions of sin? Well, all of the lusts and desires and so on. And he's saying, don't yield your members to sin. So don't yield your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but yield yourself to God as men who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And this is what we need to do. We need to do these things. We need to come to God in righteousness, not in sin. And we are thankful. We must be thankful because God has given us the free gift of righteousness by faith. So we can come to him in righteousness and we can seek Jesus and seek him out in righteousness, not through anything that we've done, but through the righteousness that he has given us because we believe in what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ. So let us do those things. Okay, the next scripture I'm going to go into is in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read just the one verse, uh, verse 11, where it says, Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Now here, Peter says it quite clearly, is the thing that is waging war against you as a Christian and against your eternal life and against your salvation, the things that are warring against you are the passions of the flesh. Now, when we go to a place of self-control, we have control over the passions of our flesh. So instead of getting angry when someone tries to, uh, to get us angry, we can remain calm. And instead of getting lustful, we can turn away from it. And instead of getting greedy when we see something, we can turn away from it. Instead of succumbing to a temptation to steal, we can turn away from it because we have self-control. And there is a mechanism by which we can achieve this self-control each time any of these passions or these lusts or desires rise up in us. And I'm getting to that um, in just a moment. I want to look at one more of the, uh, the lusts that uh, rise up in, uh, in people. And this is immorality, because it's, it's quite a bad one. We see it in the world everywhere today, all forms of immorality in the world. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. 
For the wife does not rule over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not rule over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse one another, except perhaps by agreement for a season, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, lest Satan tempt you through lack of self-control. Now, this is important. Now, immorality is a big problem. It's a problem uh, in the world, everywhere, but it's also a problem in the church because there are many people in the church who have fallen to sins of immorality. And so it's important that we need to understand these things. Now, if you're a person that doesn't have particularly strong sexual lusts and desires, and Paul wrote that he was he was like that, well, that's fine. You know, you can remain single and, and not have any problems and so on. But if you do have strong desires, then get married. Find the right girl or the right guy and get married. Settle down. And don't allow the temptation of immorality to take control of you. And we see that there are those who have entered into forms of fornication and adultery within marriage and all kinds of perversions where they have stepped outside of their marriage and they have committed sins of immorality and uh, fornication and, and all other kinds of lustful things. And often it's because there has been a problem with their partner. Yeah, they fight and they get angry and so they go off and they have an affair. Or they're not getting what they feel that they should at home and so they go off and have an affair. Well, when they call it an affair, it sounds all, oh, you know, it's all nice and whatever. Don't make the mistake of thinking an affair is okay. It is immorality of the worst kind. It is adultery if the people are married. It's adultery. And under the old law, now we're not under law, we've got to remember that, we're not on law but under grace, but under the old law, people were put to death for adultery. It's a very grave sin. And even though we are not under law, we're under grace. That doesn't mean we can go out and commit sin. doesn't mean you can go and commit adultery or fornication or any of the other sins of immorality that uh, you might think of. We have been called to be self-controlled. And that's what he says in that last verse. He says, Do not refuse one another, except perhaps by agreement for a season, that you may devote yourself to prayer. So he's saying if you're having some kind of sexual relations with your wife or your husband, just don't refuse them. Don't refuse them, except unless the two of you agree that you want to devote your time to prayer. And that's fine. Do that. It says, but then come together again, lest Satan tempt you through lack of self-control. Well, what's the temptation you're going to do? I mean, the husband or the wife might say, I'm not getting it at home, so let me go out and find someone else. And we don't want that. And to do that, then we're talking adultery again and the reason for the adultery is a lack of self-control. We need to be self-controlled. And husband and wives need to be considerate of each other's needs. That's important. So self-control, very important. Now, I'm going to go now into a couple of scriptures. Uh, the next one is in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, but these scriptures in particular, I'm going to look at from the perspective of, well, what's the process by which we can become more self-controlled? And Galatians 5, I'm reading verses 13 to 26. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. Right, now this section of Scripture gives us a really, really good insight into how we can come to this place of self-control. Now I've covered, uh, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and this is the Scripture that comes out of here in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, how do we get self-control? Well, he says in verse 13, You are called to freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. So the first thing is we have been set free. When we came to Jesus, when we were baptized into the death of Jesus, we, we died to sin and we died to the law. And that's what he's saying there. Don't use this freedom, your freedom from sin and your freedom from the law as an opportunity for the flesh to go out and do whatever you like. He said, don't do that. That's licentiousness. Don't do that. And he goes on and so he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the key to everything. The one commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples and he's given to us is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love one another. That was his commandment. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed you're not consumed by one another. But I say, and this is the key here in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and there's actually you in the Greek there. It's not in this, uh, this particular translation. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what I've been saying all along is, a lack of self-control is when you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, when you are allowing the desires and the lusts and the passions of your human nature, of your flesh, to take control of you to do the wrong thing, to do evil. So what he's saying here, though, is if you want to stop that, then walk by the Spirit. Learn how to walk by the Spirit so that you do not gratify those desires of the flesh. He goes on, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. So what we see here is the desires of the flesh. This is human nature. All the evil parts of human nature are diametrically opposed. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum to the desires of the spirit. And we've got to walk away from the desires of the flesh and come to the other end and live and be led by the Spirit, so that we are looking for the desires of the Spirit. Because, as it says there, these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Now, when he's saying that, he's, he's saying they're preventing you from doing what is your will. You may have the will to do right, but if you allow the passions and desires to get in the way, you'll do evil. You might will to do right, but if you don't put the power of the Holy Spirit behind that will or that desire to do what's right, then the desire to do evil will win out. 
And he says in verse 18, But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes through, now the works of the flesh are plain. He lists all of those forms of evil, fornication, impurity, licentious, idolatry, etc., etc., etc. And in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's pretty important to be self-controlled so that we're not doing these things. And then he continues on, he goes through the fruits of the Spirit, of which um, self-control is one of those. But he says in verse 24, and this is interesting, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified or have put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do we come to this place of self-control? Well, we have to put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. We have to kill off the passions and lusts and desires of our flesh. This is how we come to the place where we belong to Christ Jesus. And he goes on, he says, if we live by the Spirit, this is in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So if, if we are trying to live as spiritual uh, creations, you know, new creations in Christ, if we're trying to live by the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, then let's also walk in the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit. Don't think of yourself as being something special. You're not. Don't think of yourself as being something better than other people. You're not. Have no self-conceit. No provoking of one another. Well, don't say to someone because you don't like uh, the way they comb their hair that you provoke them. I mean, I can't say that anyway. I've got no hair. <laughs> so don't provoke one another. And don't have any envy of one another. So I'm not allowed to have hair envy, I guess. Have no envy of anyone else. You know, love your brothers. Love your sisters. You know, love one another as Christ commanded us. That's what's important. And we do this by learning how to walk in the Spirit. Now, I want to go over into Romans chapter 8. And this is a great scripture, Romans chapter 8, when it comes to walking in the Spirit. And I'll read from verse 1 down to 14. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And that's what I was saying a minute ago. We've been set free from the law. We've been set free from sin. And we've been set free from death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So when he's talking about this, he's saying Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He came, he did not sin, but he died, which is the payment for sin. The reason why people die is because they have sinned in their lives in the flesh, and so we die because we have sinned. But Jesus didn't sin, and yet he still suffered the punishment of death, and that's why he was the perfect sacrifice, because he had never sinned. But he goes on, he says, in order that the just requirement of the law. Now, what he's talking about is the law has a morality in it. There are lots of laws that are very specific to um, what you should wear, what you should eat, what you should drink, and so on and so forth. There are laws about um, where you should, or what you shouldn't, shouldn't do in relation to uh, place marks and, uh, uh, and things like that. And, you know, I mean, some of the laws are things like you shall only eat anything from the sea that has fins and scales, which means you shouldn't eat prawns or shrimp or any of those sorts of things, uh, or any of the fish that uh, don't have fins and scales, like shark, you know, that's got fins, but it's got no scales. And there are reasons why. And he said you shouldn't eat um, swine flesh, so you shouldn't eat bacon or pork or ham or any of those things. Now, those were some of the detailed laws specific to helping us to live a better life. 
because we know that in all of those things, when you think about all those those different foods I just mentioned, if you're going to get food poisoning, it's most likely from one of those things. Most likely, that's where most cases of food poisoning come from. But he's not talking about those things. He's talking about the morality of the law. And if you look at things like the Ten Commandments, I mean, one of the, uh, the Ten Commandments is, says, honour your father and your mother. It says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, and so on and so forth. And all of these things are moral things. So he's saying that even though we've been set free from the law, even though we've been set free from the law, we need to be able to live by the morality that exists in the law. This is what the just requirement of the law is, in order that the just requirement or the morality of the law would be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So again, we're talking about walking in the spirit. And when we walk in the spirit, then we can walk in the morality of the law, in the uprightness of the law. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now here's some very important things here. If you're in the flesh, and if you've got your mind set on the things of the flesh, you know, and that could be you know, your day-to-day -day life, it could be money, it could be where am I going to get my next feed from, it can be you know, what's going to happen with the coronavirus, oh I'm terrified, you know, what if I get it, what happens? You know, that's setting your mind on the things of the flesh, and you'll be filled with anxiety and stress and uh, you'll torture your mind and uh, and we can see the desperations in the world at present because of this disease he's saying don't think about those things set your mind on the spirit know that jesus has called us to a place where he will help us he will be with us he will strengthen us there is hope in jesus we have encouragement in jesus and we know also and i mean let's talk about the coronavirus for a minute it's one of the pestilences that we were told would happen as the end times come now i'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow but there are a whole range of signs that the lord said and one of them was he said there will be pestilences and there'll be other things. There'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be roaring of the sea and winds, there'll be wars and rumours of wars, and nations rise against nation. And to be honest, we've seen all of those things and they have escalated. And I've actually done a study on these things and all of those things, every one of them, has escalated enormously in the last uh, century. They've just, I mean, they've grown astronomically. And that's one of the clearest indications that we are approaching the end times because he calls these things, he doesn't say this is the end times when this happens. He says, these are the birth pangs. So these are the first signs of the time of the end coming. When will it happen? Well, no one knows the day or the hour. That's what the scripture tells us. But it's going to happen. And these are things. Coronavirus is one of those things. So we should take encouragement from the fact that he's told us this beforehand. He's told us in advance what the signs are of his second coming. And when we do that, when we understand these things, then we don't have to be in despair like the rest of the world. We don't have to be panicked or fearful. What we do, what we need to do is what he told us to do. Look up. Look up. Look up to Christ and know that your redemption is near. This is the great thing. So, getting back to the point, uh, to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so we've got to get out of the flesh. We've got to start thinking about the spirit. We've got to start thinking about how we're encouraged in these times and the things that we can gain from knowing these things. But he goes on in verse 9, he says, But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. 
anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So it's very important that we receive the Holy Spirit and that we have the Spirit of Christ. We have the attitudes of Christ and we think as he thought. Verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. Now this is another important thing. There are many Christians who spend a lot of time worried about the state of their bodies. They worry about the state of their health and they think that you've got to have a healthy body. The reality is your body is going to die. And you are going to get sick. And I know that there is a uh, uh, there is a ministry out there of divine health, and it's a it's an absolute lie. There is no divine health. Yes, the Lord will heal. Now we've got to realise this. Think about this for a moment. The Lord will heal His people. He has healed. He healed miraculously. But He also has given us the ability to be able to heal today through the anointing with oil. It's in James chapter five. If anyone wants to read that, He has given us these abilities. Now, if you never got sick, which is what divine health suggests, if you never got sick, why would there be a need for healing? Think about that for a moment. Why would the Why would the Lord have offered us healing if there was divine health, if you never got sick. And the reason why we get sick is because our bodies have inherited that sin factor with all of the problems and plagues of, of uh, sinfulness. We've inherited all the way down from Adam. That's why we die. But it's not about your body. It's not about your body. Because he says here in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, Although your bodies are dead because of sin, yeah, your body's going to get old, you're going to die, you're going to lose your hair, you might lose your teeth, you might get ill, uh, you might have all kinds of problems. Your bodies are dead because of sin, but your spirits are alive because of righteousness, because he died for us, he's given us the free gift of righteousness. It's our spirit that is important. I mean, Jesus said himself, he said, the flesh is of no avail. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and truth. This is what's important. It's the spirit that's important. And this is what the ministry of the new covenant is all about. It's a covenant that speaks to the spirit. The old covenant of the law spoke to the flesh. And that's why it had things like do not touch, do not taste, do not do this. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, and all of this sort of stuff. It was about the flesh. And yes, there was a spiritual morality in the law as well. And that's what the just requirement was I read about a moment ago. But the new covenant is a ministry to the spirit of God's people. Verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit which dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you are put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, I've been talking, I mentioned a little while ago, about the need to be able to walk in the Spirit. And these last few verses are talking about that. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. All right? If you live according to the flesh, if you let your flesh control you and do whatever you like, you will die. And that's both physically and spiritually. But... If by the Spirit, so he's saying, if you use the power of the Spirit, if by the Spirit, you, and that's the important word there, the Spirit's not going to do it for you. You have to make the decision. You have to use the power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. If by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So 
any time these lust, desires, passions, uh, the, the wantonness of sin rises up in you, you have to use the Holy Spirit to put it to death, to kill it off before it takes control and causes you to do something sinful. And it says down the bottom there, last verse there, for all who are led by the Spirit, these are the people who have learned how to walk in the Spirit, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and we all want to be children of God. Right. Now, I know I spent a lot of time there in Romans 8. I could spend a lot more, but uh, I want to go on now just to the last scripture that I want to look at. And this is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same thought. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer by human passions, but by the will of God. Let the time that has passed suffice for doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Now, this sums it up uh, quite well. He says, let the time that has passed. So whatever you did in the past, that's enough for doing what the rest of the world does, living in licentiousness, passions, and I'm really concerned about those passions, the passions of the flesh, the lusts of, of human nature, the desires of human nature. That's what he's talking about. Living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, which is party going, and lawless idolatry. Now, he's saying that's your past. Walk away from it. You're now in the spirit. You're now in Christ Jesus. Move forward. And so he says in the second verse, he says, so as to live for the rest of the time, in the flesh, no longer by human passions. So while we're living here in the flesh, we should not be living, allowing our human passions to control us and to cause us to do stuff that we don't want to do. It says no longer living by human passions, but by the will of God. And what is the will of God? The will of God is what he's teaching us in the new covenant, because that is the will of God. So a couple of points to consider. Can you see now why self-control is so important? Can you see also how self-control is meant to lead us away from sinfulness? And do you understand now that the process to become self-controlled is by walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit? Now, that walking in the Spirit is pretty important. And I strongly recommend. I've done um, some podcasts about walking in the Spirit, if you want to look through the list. Uh, I've also written quite a lot about walking in the Spirit on my blog. So if you go in there and you go into the search bar on the uh, on the blog and just type in walking in the Spirit, you'll find a lot of um, posts come up about walking in the Spirit. It's critical to learn that. So spend a moment in prayer now to ask the Lord to teach you self-control. Ask Him to help you understand how to walk in the Spirit to overcome the passions and desires of the flesh so that you can mature and be led by the Spirit in Jesus Christ. So that's it for this session, and that now completes this series that I've been doing, looking at the fruits of the Spirit. In the next session, I'm going to look at hope and encouragement, and I feel this is particularly important in this time, while this COVID-19 or coronavirus is causing rampant fear and panic and desperation around the world. I mean, it's important any time, but it's particularly important this time. And this is not a time, while these things are happening, this is not a time for Christians to be afraid, but rather to look up to the Lord and find strength and encouragement in Him. So until next week, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast, signing off, 
wishing you a healthy and safe week ahead. And I hope you'll join me again next week, and I hope the Lord will bless you in all that you do in the coming week. All the best. God bless.